We, we so appreciate that. Take your Bible tonight with me. Turn to the book of Hebrews, please. The book of Hebrews, if you will, in your Bible with me. I want to talk about the concept. We, Pastor Morris and I kind of been switching off on the area of learning of, of, of the Christian virtues. And the one we're going to talk about tonight is learning contentment. I didn't just call it contentment because really contentment we're going to find in the New Testament is something that is not uh, germane to us as human beings, as sinful human beings. It's something we really have to learn, and it's something we have to intentionally practice uh, in order to get in the habit of that. And we'll define what that means in just a moment, but I I think it, it, it is particularly important to understand that from the outset of what I'm about to say, we in America are incredibly blessed. There is no people more blessed than are we. And yet, if you look across our culture, if you glance through social media, which I do not recommend, but if you, if you glance through social media, you will see more discontent and malcontent on every posting and on every page. And you have to shake your head once in a while and say, I'm not sure what is wrong with people. Now, it may be that they don't have a view of what the rest of the world is going through. They don't understand that. That may well be part of it. Uh, They're looking only at a very small sliver of the world, which is their life, and thinking something should be better. But on a whole, I think that the level of discontent has arisen in our culture, and not just because, you know, well, the economy's not good right now and uh, prices are high and and things like that. that. That plays a part. But I think it is this, that we have developed in our culture a culture of complaint and giving people a, a, a soapbox, okay? Social media gives people a soapbox. It gives them a platform to air their complaint. And let me make a statement. Complaining is contagious. Complaining is contagious. So if you have a group of people who are complaining about any particular thing and someone else joins in that group, they will feel a subtle pressure to complain as well. And what happens when someone complains? When they complain, uh, they lose the ability to be content. In fact, complaining is just the outward expression of discontent that lies within the heart. So we're going to get into this. Hebrews chapter 13, if you would. Look at verse number one. We'll start there. We'll run up to our text, one of our texts for this evening. Hebrews chapter 13, verse one. The Bible says, let brotherly love continue. I love the words when the King James says brotherly love, brotherly love. What is that talking about? It's the love of a family. A while back I mentioned to the church that if you were to do a study in the New Testament of how many times familial or family-related terms are used to describe the people of a church, uh, you'll be amazed at this. This is our family. When we gather together as the Lord's church, this is our family. Now, we're we're not blood. We're not blood because this is not Kentucky. But this... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this, is, this is our family, okay? We've gathered together. Uh, this is our family. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Oh, pause for a moment. Supernatural worldview right in your Bible. Right? What in the world does that mean? Um, it means simply this. When you come across someone you don't know, and they have a need, meet that need. You may be entertaining an angel. Well, I pass the money now. If it were an angel, I would know 
because it would have wings. Nope. That's medieval church teaching. That's not Bible teaching. When angels showed up in the Bible, they looked like human beings. By the way, those of you in my Genesis class, we're going to get into all that. Now, certain created beings of God had wings. The Bible describes them with clarity. I I preached this. uh, I mentioned this six months ago. There's a lady who came up to me after the service, and, she, and she's good-natured. She's a member of a church. She's a good-natured lady. She came up to me after the service. She said, Pastor Monty, she said, you've ruined everything. You ruined an, you, what do you mean? What do you mean angels don't have wings? And I think I said that the Bible teaches that angels are male. They're male by gender. What do you mean about all this? And I, she was kind of upset. She said, you've ruined it all. I said, what did I ruin? She said, I just bought an angel figurine at Walmart <laughs> and, uh, for the yard, one of those yard angels. She said, now it's all ruined. I said, well, you, you can have that. Just understand that's a heathen Greek god. It's paganism. And, and uh, it is the god Nike from which the shoe company Nike comes from. That is, what, uh, that is what the medieval church patterned their vision of angels after. So is it possible that you could run into something that is supernatural and not know it. That's exactly what the Bible says there. So I would tell you this, be nice to everyone. Be nice to everyone, because you never know. And I, I could go on and on about that. But uh, in, in, in Paul, I believe to be the human penman of Hebrews, says, remember them that are in bonds, verse number two, remember them that are in bonds, those that are in prison, as bound with them. That's empathy, and them that suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. That's empathy. What do you mean, the body? That's an interesting word. It's a Pauline word that is used often in the New Testament to refer to the local church, the body of Christ, the local church. The uh, the body of all believers is properly recognized as the bride of Christ, but the local church is the body. So when you think about that, uh, it says this, to remember them that are bound is bound with them. That's empathy. And with them that suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. So uh, it may not be you who is going through the adversity, but you should feel the pain of that adversity. That's completely appropriate, okay? Someone going through a hard time in their life, um, I may not feel that directly because it's not, quote-unquote, my life, yet they're part of the body. And to be empathetic, that is something the Bible tells us we're to do. Verse number four, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. The physical act of intimacy of marriage is a sacred thing. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Okay, God draws a line at things and he says this will bring judgment if an individual is unrepentant in regard to that matter. Then look at verse number five because this gets into what I want to talk about tonight. Let your conversation, the way that you live, the way that your heart outflows into your life, okay? Let your conversation be without covetousness. There's the negative command. Get rid of covetousness. And here's the positive. And be content with such things as ye have, for he, God, hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Okay, look at your introduction on your lesson outline tonight quickly. Contentment does not come naturally. From the dawn of time, man has struggled with contentment. Fundamentally, Satan's temptation to Eve was the temptation to be discontent uh, with their situation, to both Adam and Eve. Now, primarily to Eve in the passage, if you read there. And and, uh, from this analysis of Genesis 3, Jordan Peterson, in his excellent book, The Twelve Rules of Life, contends that discontentment is the universal sin of all women. I did not say that. Jordan Peterson said that. You can talk to Jordan Peterson. But it, it is true 
what was the, well, Pastor Monty, it, was, it had nothing to do with this contentment. Eve wanted to eat an apple. No, the devil came to her and said, look, God's holding back on you. You could have something better. What you have in the garden is insufficient. You could be more like God. What is all of that? Satan planted the seeds of discontent in Eve's heart. And Adam was standing right there and he didn't do a thing about it. That, by the way, is horrible. He didn't protect his wife from the serpent. I mean, if a snake walks up to me, slithers now, but at that time walks, if a snake walked up to me and started talking or to my wife and started talking, I think I'd do something about it. How many men would say you'd do something about it? You absolutely would do something about it. Well, uh, so both of them clearly at fault. There's no question about that. Uh, but what was it? The temptation was to be discontented with what you have. You have the whole garden. You have all your needs supplied. Everything is beautiful and it's tropical and it's a perfect temperature year round and you're still going to complain about it. You're going to have an attitude about it. And so Peterson called, Peterson called that a universal temptation. Discontentment not only breeds complaining, but it can lead to actions that take us away from God's will, as is clear in the case of Adam and Eve. Thankfully, the Bible alerts us to this subtle sin and gives us strategies to uproot it from our lives. Okay, what does it mean to be content? I'm going to approach this from the positive aspect tonight. What does it mean to be content? Simply speaking, contentment is general satisfaction with one's position and possessions general satisfaction. Now, when I get to the end of the lesson, I'm going to teach that this is not, contentment is not an excuse for complacency. Okay, there is nothing wrong with doing better in life, but contentment does not have to do with the goal. Contentment always has to do with the journey. So I read an interesting article. Some of you may have read it uh, in Fox. I thought about uh, bringing it and reading it, but it was too lengthy. It was written by, I believe the man was an educator, and he talked about one of the major problems that secular universities are experiencing, and, and that is that many of the students have no real motivation. And because of that, they are insisting that the colleges set the bar academically very, very low, so that if a professor is a, a, a tough teacher, he's a hard teacher, how many of you had a teacher like that? Yeah, really difficult teacher, uh, and he fails a student, in his class that that professor will be fired because of the complaint of the student. In fact, student protesting over grades that are issued. This is a very common thing on American campuses today. Well, what is that? These are people who don't, do not want to rise above their current level of ability. They are complacent and they are all uh, very, very much entitled. And if you look at that up, it's in the Fox News website. And he talks about Generation Z, which approximately, I, I looked that up, it's uh, from anyone from 12 years old to 27 years old. And the author's burden for, and he's not a Christian by any means, the author's burden that I know of, the author's burden for this generation is this, that the complacency has driven them to have no goals in their life to better themselves. And that is really, really troubling because that thinking opens the door to all kinds of political mayhem as this generation begins to vote and perhaps even some running for office, but we're not going to go into all that. So contentment, easily defined as a general satisfaction with one's position and one's possessions, an attitude of gratitude that says, I have more than enough. That's, that's the outward speaking 
of contentment. I have more than enough. If you can go shopping and not want anything, and I'm not talking about you need something. If you need to buy toilet paper, by all means, okay? But if you can go shopping and not see something that you want, that's a good sign that you're a content person. Okay, if you have to fill the cart with things that you didn't intend to buy, that may be a sign that, number one, you could be a hoarder, but number two, you may have malcontent at heart, that, that, that somehow you get a rush from the idea of acquiring things, and some people make the acquisition of things to be 100% their lifestyle. So um, I want to talk about some things that contentment relates to, Okay. Uh, first of all, and most obvious, Hebrews 13:5, contentment relates to things. Be content with such things as you have. So it is both the personal possessions and position in life. I think both of those things are key in regard to this. So uh, the possessions are obvious, okay? That is the stuff that I own. When you're young, you're in gathering phase. I remember as a young man, anything that was offered to me, I just, just took it, furniture, whatever it was, because we didn't, we didn't have any furniture, so we took whatever. We still use a lot of the stuff that was given to us back then, but, but I was in gathering phase. I have officially moved into getting rid of phase, because how many of you will be honest and say, Pastor Monty, I know I have more than enough. Okay, Kelly and I, cleaned out not one, but two closets in our home. Very large closets. I was shocked at the things we had. Have you ever op- gone into a closet and, and pulled out something and it was like new to you? <laughs> Who put that there? Well, you did, okay? I, I pulled out a, um, a, a sweatshirt which had the Greek letters, I'll, I'll anglicize them for you, O. E-X, Omicron Epsilon Chi, on this shirt. It's a blue shirt, and I was looking at it. Pastor, where did that come from? It was a shirt I wore in college. What? And I'm looking at this, and first I'm thinking, wow, what a treasure. It's, a, it's an artifact. It's something that they can use in the museum somewhere down the line. It's, it's wonderful. And you know what I did? You know what I did? I tried it on. How many of you would have done the same thing? Yeah, yeah, you know what, you know what? Utterly hopeless, even if I starved myself for six months, okay? There's no way I was gonna be, but, but I'm going through all this stuff and there was such an abundance, okay? The satisfied or the content person recognizes that that is true about all of our lives. We're very, very content, okay? Um, Look, if you will, at point B under that, contentment relating to things. Point B, one's lifestyle or congregation should be free of covetousness. Now, what is that? That is an inordinate or over-the-top desire to have something someone else has. You've got to have it. Or to see an advertisement and say, I've just got to own that. That's, That's covetousness. This means that jealousy, which is a heightened form of covetousness, where one resents the possessions of others, should never be part of a Christian's life. And that is a big deal, because the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not covet, okay? One of the things, the limitations that is placed upon us is wanting something that someone else has in an inordinate way. Now, 
It is not wrong to say, oh, I, I, I like your necktie. Where did you get that? And then you go out and buy a necktie. There, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But in an inordinate way or where someone is obsessed with it, we would use the idiom where we are driven to be keeping up with the Joneses, okay? That is problematic. That, that stems from a heart of covetousness. So the command of contentment begins with the negative command, we're not supposed to covet. Point C, not only should our lives be covetous free, but they should be characterized by contentment. Now that's the positive side. So we're going to set aside covetousness and then we're going to embrace contentment. That is a general satisfaction with position and possession. So Hebrews deals with, uh, with possessions, but it also has to do with our position in life, okay? Now, I spoke a moment ago about people who are complacent and contentment should never, biblical contentment does not breed complacency. But can I give you a cycle that we're beginning to see? People are complacent. Maybe a student is complacent about his grades in school or his training. An employee is complacent about his job performance. And, and they go through life getting by. And they're happy just getting by. Now, is that right or wrong? Wrong. It's wrong. Why? Because whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Okay, I should be the best employee that an organization has. I, I mean, hard work is foundational to Scripture. But they're complacent, just doing enough to get by, and then over time their advancement does not reflect anything. And so all of a sudden, people who were their peers, who were a little more motivated, they're advancing beyond this person. Now they're working harder. They're putting in more hours. They're, they're doing the extra thing. And they advance further. And based upon advancement, they can get more. Okay, that's the, I'm talking about what the world's philosophy is. We do not labor to be rich. Scripture is against that. But the world's philosophy, they get more. And then all of a sudden, the person who has wallowed in complacency for 20 years looks at that peer and says, well, it's just not right that they have all of that and I only have this. That kind of complacency can ultimately result in deep-seated resentment because of an entitlement mentality. But the Bible is clear that we're to be free of covetousness and also that we are to be characterized by contentment, which is general satisfaction. What about our position, our position in life, okay? Um, Pastor Monty, I, I graduated from college, and that means they ought to make me president of the company. It's not going to happen. I, I learned a new idiom, I guess, in reading. It's brand new, I think. I'd never come across it before. Have you ever heard of, of people, young college graduates, females is what they're talking about. Have you ever heard this term? Lazy girl jobs. How many have read that recently? No one? Okay, look that up online, lazy girl jobs. It's a thing, it's a real thing. Where, where these graduates want a job where they can sit there and scroll through their phone and get paid by their presence, not by their effort. And this is considered desirable now by some, by the culture, in the day and time in which we're living. So uh, contentment does not mean I'm complacent, but it does mean I'm satisfied, and I'll get into why that is in just a moment, okay? Look at, uh, look at the end of point C, okay? 
So not only should our lives be covetous-free, but they should be characterized by contentment, a general satisfaction with position and possessions. In other words, contentment looks around and says, I have enough, I have plenty, life is good, and it is a positive antidote for covetousness. But I need to say it now, it's further down in the outline. It is the journey, not the destination. Okay, so, so listen, so that I keep you on, I, we'll get into it more in a minute, but... Should I be content? I should be, the Bible says so, right? A general satisfaction. But should I be trying to better myself? Yes or no? Yes, I absolutely should. But while I am bettering myself, I am content with where I'm at. I'm not uh, consumed with what I don't have. I'm thankful for what I do have. I'm not consumed with the position that I don't have. I'm thankful for the position that I do have, but I'm going to continue bettering myself and as a byproduct of hard work, as a byproduct of self-discipline, as a byproduct of effort, then I'm going to be advancing. Does everybody follow me? But I'm content all the way. Pastor Bonnie, I will not be happy until I'm president of the company. You have years to not be happy. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you make a deal with yourself? And you, I, won't, I won't be satisfied until I get to this particular place. Famously, John D. Rockefeller, a millionaire globalist and satanic schemer of years gone by, John D. Rockefeller famously was asked, how much money would it take to make you happy? And his famous response was this, just a little bit more. I would rather be content. By the way, if you learn to be content, you can be happy. If you are not content, there's always that nagging feeling that somehow there's failure or insufficiency attached to your life. So, so just some ideas here. Um, look at point D, because the Bible says, what, what is the motivation for contentment? What is the reason for it? Look at Hebrews 13, 5 again. Be content with such things as you have. Why? For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Contentment is founded in the belief that God is enough. The reason we can be content is that God himself said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, by the way, that's really challenging Christianity. It's really easy to talk about that in this comfortable auditorium and we're all comfortable and we wore warm clothes because it's cold outside tonight. We'll get in warm cars. We'll drive back to warm houses. Really easy to theorize about this. But the, the question is this, is God really enough? Is God really enough? See, sometimes when our backs are against the wall, contentment becomes hard. But the reason, the base motivation, basic motivation for contentment is I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I've included this, uh, this, this from the Gospels, this, this uh, anecdotal story. When asked by a group of Roman soldiers, John the Baptist was busy baptizing people in preparation for the coming kingdom. Remember, baptism, uh, as we understand it, was not invented by John the Baptist. That was a Jewish ritual. It pictured ritual cleansing. They did, Jews did fully immerse, and they did it many times in a person's life, okay? Many times. For example, when a, when a woman went through her menstrual cycle, she had to undergo the ritual purification of what was called a mikvah. We call it a baptistry tank. They called it a mikvah. If you go to Israel, you'll see them everywhere. Interestingly enough, a masada. A masada. Do you all know what masada is? Herod's desert fort. Desert Fortress. 
when the Jews took that over before the Romans finally got there and discovered they had all committed suicide. That's all another story. When the Jews took that over, they lived there for two years or more and they had Herod's bathhouse in this desert fortress. He had a bathhouse and they turned that into a mikvah. What is a mikvah? It was a place for ritual cleansing. So John the Baptist was baptizing people, telling them the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God is here because of the king, King Jesus. And different groups asked, what should we do? And a group of soldiers asked, what should we do? And John the Baptist, among other things, said to them, be content with your wages. Isn't that interesting? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. What what should we do? Y'all be content with your wages. Does that let you know how serious contentment is? Well, Pastor Monty, that means I'll just, every time they offer me a raise, I'll just tell them no. No, 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 no. You're missing the whole point. Contentment with where I am at now. Contentment with what I have now. If God should increase you, great. Be content there. Well, I'm still not making the 18 figures I thought I would make. Okay, that's the problem. That's where we show malcontent. Contentment comes on the journey. And I'm glad we're at point number three because this will tie it together. Contentment relates to time. It relates to time. It is the attitude of satisfaction in the present moment, okay? Um, I'm, I'm not projecting what my life will be in the future fame and riches or, 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 or poverty. I'm not projecting that. But I, can I say this? Am I content right now? Am I genuinely content right now? It does not look to the future for a future time of fulfillment. For example, some people believe they will finally find contentment in retirement. That very belief reveals that they are not content in the workforce are, and are in disobedience to Scripture. Pastor Monty, I'm just, uh, my big goal is to one day just, just uh, receive my, my wristwatch and have a little, uh, little cake and a little punch and then I leave the office and I'll never go back again. That's my goal. But wait a minute. Shouldn't we spend our lives in a state of contentment? Now, nothing wrong with having a goal. But, but by the way, many, many men that I know say that retirement is horrible. They are bored. They have nothing to do. And do you know what they do, ladies? They will drive you crazy, okay? Here's this guy who for 30 years was out in the work world, and now he's kicking around the house. Not, by the way, not doing any chores, okay? No, we'll we'll be tied. But he's just sort of kicking around the house. I've seen this as a pastor over the years. It's better to keep doing something, gentlemen. By the way, it's better for your health. It's better for your mental health to just keep doing stuff. You may not work at the same job your whole life, but, but Walmart needs greeters. It's, good to, it's good, to, good to do something, okay? But contentment, how does it relate to time? It means that in this present moment, I'm content, okay? It doesn't mean I'm looking for something in the future where finally I've arrived and can reach a state of nirvana based upon doing nothing, okay? That's my point here. Point B, life has various seasons. Contentment is satisfied in the various seasons of life. Contentment doesn't rush the seasons, nor does it long for the good old days, okay? Why? Because contentment is now, and contentment continues through every day of my life. So I don't say to myself, boy, I can hardly wait till the kids grow up and they're out of the house and I'm an empty nester, okay? That means I'm not content with the position I'm in right now. 
But when I embrace the season of life that I'm in right now, that's when I can find contentment. But Pastor Monty, it'll be so much better when this, 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 and this happens. Okay, why do you project into the future? It's something you don't know, by the way, if it's gonna be better. You don't know, okay? Why project into the future and then have a, a sense of being discontent now? Okay, this really, this affects everything in people's lives. It, it affects them in a very, very big way. So contentment relates to time. Number four on the back page. Contentment relates to circumstances. This was too long for me to replicate in your, in your outline, so go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter four. Very powerful scripture about contentment. Philippians chapter four, verse number 11. Paul is talking about an offering that the church at Philippi had taken up for him. He says, verse 10, he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me, the offering, hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And then he says this very quickly. He says, thank you for your generous gift. But then in verse number 11, he, he wants to make sure they're not misunderstanding his thanksgiving. Not that I speak in respect of want, not that I'm a beggar, not that I, I was whining and complaining that the Philippian church hadn't sent me a love offering, not that I speak in respect of want. Note the next words. For I have learned, it's not natural, folks. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And he expounds upon that learning of, it doesn't come naturally. It's very opposed to our nature. It is very, uh, it's not intuitive to us. He says, I've learned whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. He said in verse number 12, he now expounds this. He says, I know, how does he know? Because he learned. How did he learn? He learned by experience. He's about to give you a series of, of general descriptions of experiences he went to, went through. I know both how to be abased, that is how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, that is to have plenty. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed. You see that verse number 11 says I learned something. Verse number 12 in the passive voice says I am instructed. In all things I am instructed in all things both to be full do you like to be full? Do you like, I like to be full. Now, how many eat too much and get overfull? Do you ever do that? I do. I don't, I don't like that. It's un uncomfortable, but I do it to myself over and over again. How many say, Pastor Monty, I'm with you? Okay, yeah, we do that. We do that. Not just at Thanksgiving. He says, I'm instructed both how to be full and to be hungry. Now, how many like to be hungry? I don't like to be hungry. In fact, I make sure it never gets to that. I just eat till it, to, to prevent it. It never gets that. Uh, he says, I've, I've instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound, and that's the abundance is the idea there, and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Okay, what, what, is the, what are the lessons of contentment, okay? Since we know contentment is foreign to the flesh nature, we must work on contentment. Um, number one, look at under C, the lessons of contentment. Paul knew how to be abased, that is brought low by the circumstances of life. He describes that, by the way, in another passage where he says he was in a shipwreck, he was beaten, he was treated, mistreated repeatedly. We understand that from his history, from his own writing. He says, Paul knew how to be abased, that is brought low by circumstances of life. Many things happen that are beyond our control. When negative things happen, we must accept them and find contentment within their context. Now, I want to make this statement, folks. We all like it when life is going 
smoothly for us. And we don't like it when something upsets the apple cart. Even then, we have to find contentment because sometimes the thing that upsets the apple cart changes our lives forever. And when you cannot find contentment in a new set of circumstances, even though they're negative, when you cannot find contentment somehow in a new set of circumstances that you would view as negative, you'll go through your life resentful. And that resentment will cause you untold misery and it's all brought about by the way you think. This is not in your notes, but I'm gonna give you a thought. You might wanna jot this down, okay? It is not the circumstance in life that matters. It is what you think about the circumstance that makes a difference. That's absolutely true. Well, Pastor Monty, this is so awful, it's so horrible. There's nothing good can ever come of this. And we forget about the verse that says all things work together for good to those who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We forget about that verse. It is possible even in the darkest hour to find some form of contentment. And so Paul says in all circumstances, he says everything. Point two, look at point two under C. Paul knew how to abound, how to bask in the blessings of life. Ah, pastor, that's where I want to be, abounding and basking in the blessings of life. Paul knew how to do that. The context of blessing is not necessarily an easy backdrop for contentment. Why? Why is that? Pastor Monty, if I just had everything I wanted, man, I would be content. Probably not. Often we take blessing for granted and become dissatisfied with any interruption in the flow of the good. This is especially true for American Christians. I'm going to be very frank with you. We shamefully have such high expectations that we become critical connoisseurs of everything. And we're malcontents. You see that all the time. For example, Faith Baptist Church is not a perfect church by far. You have a very imperfect preacher and you have a horribly, horrifically imperfect staff. <laughs> it's not a perfect church, but do, do you know what? You're blessed, you're blessed. Pastor Monty, are all the members of your church perfect people? No, and I'm really glad you're not. That would be really hard to pastor, okay? I had to, someone asked me, they were telling me that uh, something some, in their industry, something like, like uh, James back there, he's, he's a nurse. You ever thought about this, James? Sick people keep you in business. You ever thought about this? Sin keeps me in business. If you're all perfect, you wouldn't even have to come to church, okay? But, but we're not. We're all sinners before the Lord. We're, we're imperfect people. In our we don't accept our imperfections, by the way. Don't gloss over them, try to fix them. But in our imperfection, understand this, we're amazingly blessed. And sometimes the more you get, the higher your expectations become, and the more demanding, this is true of all of us, right? The more demanding we become. Well, Pastor Mania, don't ever go to that fast food restaurant because I had to wait 6.2 minutes, minutes to get my order. Really? You ever been to Nicaragua? Ain't nothing happened fast in Nicaragua. We, 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 we become connoisseurs, listen, we become connoisseurs of our own abundance, and when we do that, we become discontented with it. Well, I can't believe they didn't blah, 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 blah. You're an American. You're surrounded by blessings. You're an American Christian. 
Do you know how rare it is for other countries to have church like this? My neighbor who, who um, came, lived and grew up in, in Great Britain, he, he drove by, he's been to one thing at our church, one event at our church, but he drove by the building because uh, he got curious. And later we were talking, he said, he said, mate, that building, he said, there's no churches like that in England. There's no churches like that. I said, well, you've got cathedrals. He said, but they're not building them anymore. Nobody goes, nobody attends. He said, I can't believe it. A brand new church and a big church like that. He says, mate, this is different. This is different. Do you know what? We consider it commonplace. And so commonplace are our blessings that we lose our contentment because we determine that somehow, listen to this, our blessings aren't good enough. That's crazy. And we all do it. We all, well, you know, that, that car I own, it's an old piece of junk. It's a year and a half old. <laughs> what? We do. We're, because we're so blessed. By the way, learning how to abound means I'm content with the blessings and I'm not a critic or a connoisseur of the things God has put into my hands. It's a, it's a, contentment is tricky, if you've not noticed. It's rather tricky. Look at point three. Paul learned contentment everywhere. He said, everywhere I'm content. Paul's geographical location was not the key to his contentment. Pastor Matt Phillips, our first youth pastor under my ministry here, Pastor Matt Phillips often reminded our teens, fun is not where you are, it's who you are. That's a really good statement. Well, Pastor Monty, I went to an activity and I didn't have any fun. Do you know why? Because you are a drag. That's exactly why. Because, well, I'm just expecting them to entertain me. No, no. If you're a fun person, you'll have fun no matter where you are. I love that statement. I think it's very good. When people limit their contentment to a location, they cannot be used of God. Effective ministry is surrendered ministry. Now, let me, let me just be clear and honest. I grew up in Minnesota with, with a young evangelist, Dwight Smith. We grew up together. We grew up hunting. We grew up fishing. We grew up camping skiing, ice skating, swimming. It was four seasons per year, a veritable wonderland of outdoor activity. Phenomenal place, most beautiful parks and facilities, and because you know, they, they tax you to death, so they spend all the money uh, and build nice things. I moved to Indiana. You know what? We got corn. We got soybeans. And, and when I first, now I've discovered there's other stuff here too, like, um, like um, uh, Nashville, Indiana. Yeah, <laughs> there's other stuff. But when I first came here, I felt, I felt like a missionary to a very boring place. I don't feel that way anymore. Do you know what? It was God's calling. I, I think I told you all this. When I was a college kid driving between Minneapolis, Minnesota and Bob Jones in Greenville, I used to drive through Indianapolis, and it was usually this time of year when things were looking rather desolate. And I remember saying to some of the guys in the car, we were heading back to college, I remember saying to some of the guys, why would anyone live there? <laughs> you know, by the way, don't say stuff like that because God has a good sense of humor. Why, why, would, why would anyone choose to live there? You know what? I'm thankful to God that I'm a Hoosier. I'm thankful to God that I'm in Indiana. It, the location doesn't matter, but it, it, in other words, effective ministry is surrendered ministry. Genuine contentment flexes with the location. 
the state of the state, I'm saying Florida versus Indiana here, the house, trailer park versus Oak Bend Estates, etc., does not determine contentment. I had a young man, uh, not so young actually, he was probably in his 30s, came to me. He was uh, trained both uh, Bible college and seminary. He had a very advanced degree in seminary, and he came to me. He presented to me with a beautiful resume about he wanted to be a pastor. Beautiful resume. Uh, He felt, he said, God's called me to preach, and we sat down, we talked about it. He said, now, he said, feel free to give my resume out to churches. And so I said, okay, but he said, but he said, don't recommend me to any church unless they're in the northeastern United States which I wouldn't want to live there, but, but I, they got those ticks that give you Lyme disease and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> and lots of liberals to boot. I wouldn't want to live there. But he said, don't, he said, I have to be in the Northeast. I said, why? Well, because my wife's family is there and because blah, 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 and he had all these reasons and, and I just, that's, that's where I have to be. And he was adamant that I could not give his resume to a church in Georgia. It was, this is this, it has to be here. You know what I did when he left my office? I threw it in the trash can. Why? No surrender. No surrender. You know, when a missionary surrenders to the mission field, God leads them somewhere, and sometimes it's a place they would have no desire to go. Genuine ministry is surrendered ministry. Well, well Pastor Ronnie, if I, if I end up at so-and-so, I just won't be able to be happy. That's a you problem. It has nothing to do with the location. It's a you problem. Does everyone see how this fits with contentment? I hope you understand this. It it fits very well with the concept of contentment. Look at point four. Paul learned contentment also not only everywhere, but in all things. Paul's contentment did not have a minimally acceptable standard. Rather, he took things as they came. He accepted them. He found contentment in them. All things means all things. Now, men do this a lot. Men do this a lot. You know what we do? We go camping. We leave the comfort of our, our home and our beautiful king-sized bed with a support mattress and the heating pad and everything else. We leave that. We leave the air conditioning or the heat. We leave the running water. We leave that, we leave that all behind. We, hey, I'm so excited I get to go camping. You're going to stay in a tent, get bit by mosquitoes. You're going to freeze at night, sweat during the day. You're going to not have adequate sanitation facilities. You're not going to have running water, and for a solid week, you're not going to take a shower, and you're going to be dirty. Do you want to do that? I like that. Maybe not the shower, like shower part, but I, I like the rest of it. Do you know why? Because it's a challenge to us to be minimalist. Listen to this, and it's amazing the contentment you can find. People who don't camp don't get that. They're like, what? And why in the world would you want to do that? Because there's something to be found in minimalism. I'm happy with just this little bit that I have that is actually enriching and fills the soul of an individual. It makes, it makes a huge difference. So contentment is not your location. Contentment is not necessarily circumstances. In all things, you find contentment, okay? He didn't have a minimally acceptable standard. Paul learned contentment from both extremes, hunger and full or satia- satiation, plenty or want. And within those two spectrums, that includes just about everything. And he, he honestly said this because he said it under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He wasn't lying. He said, I, just, I can be happy with this. I can be happy with this. Now, now let me tell you something. That's real contentment. 
So, so people look at that word contentment, they're like, well, you know, yeah, I'm content. Bible contentment says it carries on throughout the journey of life, listen to this, wherever the journey takes me. In marriage, for better or for worse. In life, for richer or for poorer. In sickness and in health, listen carefully, there's a, this is spiritual. This, by the way, is really hard when you've been fed a bill of goods that says you're entitled to certain things. This is really hard. And many of us, myself included, on many, many occasions, have caught myself being a malcontent in the midst of incredible blessing. So this is real Christianity. This is warfare Christianity. This is battle Christianity that finds contentment. Let me give you a quick caution, if I can, about contentment. Um, And I mentioned this earlier. I know we're running out of time. Biblical contentment, it's not complacency, okay? It's not complacent. Why? Because I'm to better myself. I'm to work hard. I am a steward of the things God has given me. I am a steward of his gifting. So I want to develop myself continually to do better. Well, Pastor Ronnie, yeah, the only reason you try to do better is to have a bigger church. No, that's not my goal. That is not my goal. But you know what? If you work hard enough, it's often the byproduct of that. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? If you work hard in your career, well, I'm working hard in my career so I can make millions of dollars. No, no, no. The Bible says labor not to be rich. Do not labor with the goal of being rich. But the Bible also says the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. The diligent is someone who's a hard worker. The soul being fat means he's going to have a lot of food. Why? Because he has an abundance. God blesses hard work. The issue then is not I'm discontent till I reach a goal. The issue is I'm content and working hard every single step of the way. So that when I was young and married and didn't have any money, I was content. Content. Didn't have much, but hey, content. My church, my first church in North Carolina, this just hit me. I think I've shared this with you before. My first church in North Carolina, there was a, a group of, a trio, a trio that sang, a mixed trio that sang in our church. And they sang a little song, and it went something like this. You can try to remember the words off the top of my head. I have a roof up above me. I have a good place to sleep. There's food on my table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and a fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on me. That's contentment. Don't own a mansion, who cares? Don't own a Lamborghini, I wouldn't want one. If you gave me one right now, I'd have it on eBay that fast. Why? Because if they break down, <laughs> good luck, baby, in Indianapolis, okay? I'm not, 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 not interested in that. Those things don't matter. What matters is a relationship with God. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to try. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to improve myself. I'm all about that. I'm, by the way, I'm all about personal responsibility. Don't you try to get someone else to do what you can do, okay? And what you can only do for you. Take personal responsibility. But, Pastor Monty, I have a problem. It's your job to solve it. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's no one's job but yours. Now, I'll give you some advice, but I can't make it happen, okay? Contentment says on the journey now, a second from now, 
Another second from now, on the journey, I have a general satisfaction with the possessions and the position that God has allowed me to have. And do you know what, do you know what the good thing about contentment is? You being content can be richer than Bill Gates. Huh? Yeah. Because if he doesn't have contentment, he's a miserable malcontent. And I would rather be content. Father, thank you for your word and a very